remain standing as we read from the Word of God this morning. Our text is taken from the book of Genesis, and we're going to begin in chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and I have several different places that I'm going to skip around uh, through chapter 2. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat from it you will surely die. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Before those last verses that were read happened in that dawning of civilization, the scriptures actually tell us that uh, God also brought before the man all of his creatures looking for the suitable mate for man, someone to cause him to be not alone but to have some with him. And after parading all the animals in front of the man, the man had gone, "Not, not so much. I mean, can you imagine what he thought when God brought the giraffe by? He, no, I don't think that's a good mate. So then he took that rib and he fashioned it into a woman and brought that before the man. And the man then literally said, wow, wow, what a, what a woman. And that's, uh, that's what the scriptures are really trying to convey to us in that passage of the scripture where once again, God gives us more generously than we would ever perhaps think or plan for ourselves. We've been working on a series of sermons that my dad taught me without many words a long, long time ago. He taught them to me by teaching me many things, things that were important in his own life and many things that he thought were important 
for life itself, although usually encased in a few words. One of the things he taught me was, you know, when you say you're going to do something or you know you're supposed to do something, you should do it. This last week, I went to annual conference. Now, I've been going to annual conference since somewhere in about 1979. I began going as a student pastor, and I've been going to those uh, joyful get-togethers ever since, ever since. They have changed throughout the years, and some years seem more appropriate to what I needed in my life than others. This year, when I was getting ready to go, I'll have to confess that after many years of going to those things, I was thinking, really, another annual conference? I'd look at the list of what I thought was planned before I got there, and, and I wasn't very excited about it, but I knew I was supposed to be there, and so I showed up and sat in my seat for the first presentation, realizing that I would probably be roaming the halls a lot that week, maybe not as interested in some of the things that were going to happen as others. And yet, from the very start, when I was where I said I would be, as my father had taught me, to do what I was supposed to do, I had some of the best teaching I've had in a long, long time from two different individuals over five presentations. And both of them really fit and were woven into what we had been thinking about and doing here in the church for the last couple of years. And I saw that as a particular gift from God that I received just because I showed up in a spot I was supposed to be. And then the generosity of God could be extended to me through the teaching ministry of two different individuals. I picked this text today because I wanted to talk about the fourth thing that we value in our life together as a church, which is generosity. And so I picked these scriptures because I believe it is in the first book, the story of creation, that God begins to demonstrate to us what true generosity looks like and how we could could and should respond to it as followers of God. Generous and generosity, words that come together, are not always evident to us in what they mean, although we experience them oftentimes before we ever catch on to how we can implement them in our lives. I remember as I became an adult and began eating out and doing what was to soon become a normal way of life for people, I discovered the requirement of tipping. And I say the requirement because I knew it was really expected of you. And as I began to leave tips, I oftentimes resented leaving that tip. I felt like I'd already paid for the food. Somebody just brought it to me, and I was supposed to give them perfectly good money, of which I didn't have enough of at that time, and leave it for them because they brought me and filled my tea glass up once, one more time. It just seemed out of re- in relationship to what I was actually getting. And as time went on, then I married and we began to tip, and I began, my wife would start asking me, how much are you leaving? And I thought, well, why is that anything to you? Uh, you know, I'm leaving, and then I'd finally say, I'm leaving 10%. And she says, that's all? The woman who gave me one piece of gum said, is that all? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm really going to pay for that one. I know it, too. I know it. But what she began to encourage me to do is to give more. And so I begrudgingly did. And then as time went on, I read some articles about 
tipping and other things, as I begin to see it then as an opportunity rather than as a duty. And I begin to be very especially leaving tips in the, in the larger range that they would express. I was more able to, granted, at that point in my life, but also I become to understand the tip as something very different. And now occasionally I just leave something that's obviously and absorbently above the level of service that I'd received, but also above what was expected. Because what you see when you leave an extra large tip on a table is the look of gratitude on someone's face. And as a pastor through the years, I've experienced that many, many times. It happened to us again, I can't remember, I think it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, but when it came time to pay for a meal, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the waitress brought me a card and said, the gentleman across the restaurant over there is paying for your meal. And I said, can I order again? <laughs> but you know, that kind of thing has happened to me often. In fact, this particular person has done it more than once when he sees me at a restaurant. And so you feel a sense of gratitude that someone appreciates something you've done or what you mean to them, that they would reach out and give you something that's not expected, certainly not required, out of the generous spirit that they have in their own heart and mind. Generosity can be expressed in something as small as a tip because it really makes a difference to the person who's working very hard to please everybody at a restaurant. And when someone's having a particularly bad day and shares that with you, it serves to increase their spirit and their appreciation for you. And when somebody's done a particularly bad job and they really know it, and you leave them a very generous tip, then it also carries that same kind of generous mentality over to them. So when I wanted to talk about our church as being a generous church, I wanted the right scripture to set the right tone for this value. We've already been talking about the values, the things that hold us together, that we hold on to, and the values that we hope express who we are as a people. We've already talked about relationships. We've already talked about faithfulness. We've already talked about the combination of this grace and truth together. And today we're talking about generosity. And I really think that generosity pours through and in all the other values that we have and should have as followers of Jesus Christ. And the first point I want to make about generosity is where it comes from. You can be taught it as my wife helped to teach me about being generous in many different kinds of ways. But you also can experience it by what you understand and who you understand God to be. In fact, I think it goes all the way back to the very first part of the creation story when God says, let us make man in our own image. Now, at the point of creation, when you talk about the image of God, you're talking about people that are created to look something like what God would look like if he lived upon this earth as a human being. The original intent and the original per people that God created were that way in their pure state. And I think sometimes we talk so much about sinful humanity and the fallen nature of humankind in the church that we forget that in its very beginning, God created us to be generous people, to be people who were generous in all of our expressions of life, living, and relationships. That he created us to be generous because God himself is generous. And in these verses, that comes pouring out. 
Now, we've all read through at different times in our lives many stories about Jesus. And he gives us a picture of what God intended for humanity when he created us in his own image. That we, like God, were to be generous people, even as Jesus was generous when he walked this earth. Generous with his love, generous with his forgiveness, generous with his patience, generous with his time. He poured into those 12 men who followed him, himself, day after day after a day, in a generous way, asking the dumb questions and answering them. Answering the questions that were really hard. Giving them a way to live in a way following his path that would be generous to others. So when we say we are created in the image of God, we are saying a lot of things, not just that God is generous, but certainly among the many things that God is, we find a very generous person. And when you listen to this creation story, it really begins to seep into you to understand that. It says that he created man and woman in his own image. I'm so glad I'm not a giraffe. I'm so glad that I'm not a worm. I'm so glad that I'm not an angel. And I don't become an angel when I die, by the way, if you want a little biblical wisdom to go along with it. <laughs> Angels are created beings too. I and people like me, humanity, we're the only things created in the image of God, period. Everything else is far less now, we don't take that as something to make us feel proud of ourselves, but we should receive it as a knowledge of the Scriptures and know that that is how important we are to God, that he would create us in his own image and take the risk to give us the mind and the will, even like God has to make our own choices about life. Does that make life messy? Yes, it does. But it also makes us like God. And that we can rise above through the power of the will and the working of the mind and the feelings of the heart and make decisions that honor the one who created us to be like him. And one of those ways, as I've already said it ten times at least, that would be generosity. I doubt if there's a, been an age in, this, in, the, in the history of humankind where it is more important for the people who follow God to be known for being generous than it is important today in the world in which we live. Like the first century Christians, he said, they will know you by the love you have for one another, a generous kind of love that overflows that people are amazed by. Today in the world in which we live, when so many people in our country where we live, the people right around us are turning away from God, it behooves us then to be more and more like God. And one of those characteristics that gets the attention of the world is when they receive unexpected kindnesses from those who do not owe those kindnesses to them. That's it. When we express our love for them in generous ways, unexpected ways, overflowing beyond anything they might expect us to do for them or with them, then that generosity reflects the image of God that is inside us. It is in one of those kind of ways I think that most of us are touched not only to become a follower of Christ, but also are encouraged to continue following Christ in way after way after way in our lives. We, we might be at this point kind of wondering, okay, what do you mean by generosity exactly? 
I liked one of the quotes that I read, which said it was living for something greater than myself, something greater than my own gratification, something greater than my own self-interest. It was giving to something that is more important than all of these things that I just named, than taking care of Doug, taking care of my own satisfying urges, taking care of my own self-interest. It is expressed often in times when we talk about it within the church as the way that we use our resources, as the way that we use our talents, as the way that we use our time. When we are generous in giving our time away to others, they notice it. I often tell young pastors when they talk to me about, well, how do you do hospital visitation? I say, well, I do it, first of all. I go to the hospital when people are sick. And they say, but you don't really have time to do that anymore, right? And I say, I go to the hospital when people are sick. And when I say I go, I mean pastors go. We go and we go as often as we possibly can. When they're having surgery, what do you do? We go and we pray before they have their surgery, if it's at all possible. Wow. Well, some of those surgeries are early, aren't they? We go before the surgery. That's the point. Before they go and have the surgery, we try to be there with them if it's at all possible. To pray with them. To pray for the doctors who are doing the surgery. So that the doctor hears the prayer if possible. So that the nurses hear the prayer if possible. Because we are sharing our trust in God to be with us in the most excruciating times. Anybody can make a casual visitation of their time when it's convenient. And I tell young pastors, when you go out of your way to do what your people do not expect you to do, they begin to understand that you love them as you say you do. And if you don't go beyond what they expect, how are they going to know that you're ready to sacrifice for them, that you really care about their lives, their children's lives? And they say, well, you don't go to little things like tonsil surgeries, right, for children? We go to surgeries because it's important. If you're taking my child in there to have surgery, you think I'm not going to pray for my child? Why wouldn't I want to pray for your child? Do children get it? Children absolutely get it. They get it that the pastor shows up and prays for them. Now, we pray short and simple prayers, yes, but they get that you're there. The church needs to be there where people are living. We need to be giving of our time and our resources and our talents where they are living so that they understand it. You think that some of our members who are older don't get it when the youth show up to do work at, the, at their house for nothing? Except the pleasure of being together and the pleasure of helping someone in the church who could use some help? A generous gesture of the youth to show their or bonding with the rest of the congregation. Being generous has its roots deep in the scriptures. When God created the heavens and the earth and everything on it, he was generous. When he put Adam and Eve in that first garden to the text that Cindy Jay was reading, it says, you know, that you can eat from the tree of fruit from the tree of any any tree in the garden. You can have any of it. You can have all of it. Eat as much as you want. Except for that one tree in the middle. And people have asked me, I don't know how many times I've been asked, why did God put that tree in the middle of the garden? Didn't God know they'd make a bad choice? Yes, God did know that because God is God. 
but God wanted to give us the choice not to make the wrong choice. God also wanted us to receive the power that comes from making the right choice when we know the difference between a good choice and a bad choice. Choosing that fruit from that tree is because God made us in his own image. We have choice. And God wanted us to choose to make the best choice that showed we appreciated all that God had done for us by giving us an amazing world in which to live, providing everything we could need or want within that world, and asking us to choose to make the right choice. After all, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 1 and 2 that uh, we are created to be imitators of God, imitators of God. We can't be God, but in many ways we can look like God at moments in our lives. Now, it's all relative. Everything is relative in the Christian faith. You've probably noticed by now. At least it's relative for me, and most things are intention. Most things comes in pairs, just like generosity or stinginess. We make a choice, and every choice is relative. Sally, when she brought the gum forward and the can didn't bring me one more piece, which I was asking for, she left me with a whole box, Right? And then I had to make sure to be generous and explain to the kids after I'd popped off without thinking uh, there wasn't enough gum in the thing for everybody. Then I had to explain to them that rather than pick out one person, which I'd already handed it to, you know, that everybody wouldn't be enough for everybody, so therefore we would just share and not have it. Generosity is expressed in so many ways, but sometimes it's, it's expressed at the bare, meager level. I'm going to come back to that when I talk about the church here in Carrollton, Texas, and the church around the world. But have it clear in your mind that from the biblical perspective, because we're made in God's image and because God has blessed us with so much in our world to make life good for us, that we should be people who are filled with gratitude. You know what a person filled with gratitude looks like? It looks like a generous person. Whenever we are people who are not in recognition of all that God has given us, we can be stingy as individuals and, yes, as bodies of believers. It is easy for us to be something other than what we've been created to be by simply exerting our will and holding on to that which we think is ours. Now, that the very essence of this passage of creation is the very breath of life that God breathed into the first humans. The, li- the gift of life itself is not ours, and really it's not a gift from our parents directly. The gift of life comes from God. Otherwise, we'd be like the other creatures running around who are just responding to their environment. We would be just really reflecting what we are as animals. But when God breathed into us his own spirit, then we became different from the rest of creation. When God breathed that breath of life into us, we come to understand that the source of life is God. We will always be creatures 
we will never be the creator. You say, well, I made something just the other day. I created. No, actually you didn't. You might have used what God has given you to create, but creating implies that you make something from nothing. God is the only one who speaks and things happen. We take things that are already there and we reshape them. We build them into something that we haven't envisioned yet. Or we create love from the love we received, but God is the source of it. And the difference makes all the difference in the world in what we feel is gratitude. You know how many times I've said in the last 40 years as I've been teaching and talking with people, they'll talk about something that they have, and they say, well, I worked hard for what I've got. I said, yeah, you, you did. You, man, you did. You worked hard. Good for you. And they'll say, that's why it's mine. And I'll say, bad for you. And they'll say, what do you mean? I say, you worked hard to have what you have. I know somebody that works twice as hard as you do. Twice as hard as you do. And they have 20% of what you have. And then they'll think a moment. Oftentimes they'll say something like, well, that's because they weren't smart too. They didn't go to college. They didn't get the right job. They didn't choose the right profession. They didn't do this. They didn't do that like I did. Yeah, that's right. And you just grew up and made all those right choices on your own, didn't you? You grew up in a household that took you to church every Sunday, fed you, nurtured you, paid for your way through college, and you came out the other side a self-made person. Hardy, har, har. People really want to claim what they've done for themselves when they use their abilities. Where did those abilities come from? Everybody doesn't have the IQ of 175, do they? Have you been tested lately? You might not have been blessed with being the smartest person in your class, but you might be the hardest working one. You might be the one who has the highest set of moral values. You might be the one who's pure in heart and generous, where somebody who's much smarter struggles with the basic meaning of those concepts. We get different gifts, and they come to us because we are created beings. And the creator bestows them upon us. But we are not all equal. Remember Jesus in the story when, he was go when the rich owner was leaving? And he says, I'm going to leave you ten ta talents while I'm away. I'm going to leave you five. I'm going to leave you one. You remember that? They didn't all get ten. It's a story that Americans don't like from the beginning. <laughs> because when the guy comes back and the person had ten, turned him in ten more, great. Five turned him in five more, great. The one who had one said, well, I only had one, and I hid it. So when you came back, I'd give you what, you what you'd given me. And Jesus was not pleased, was he? In the story, the ruler was not pleased. Because he wanted them to take what they had and make it into something more. It was not about whether you had ten or one. It was about did you use what you were given for the benefit of the owner. You are a product of the owner, the creator. What you, yes, you, you get to make the choice of how you use it, but it is all a gift. You don't really own anything. You are stewards. You get to have control over what you've received, and you get to think and, like God, create ways to use what you have in terms of talents, resources, and time. But every one of the hundred who volunteered to help in VBS this week got to make that choice. 
they chose to use what God had given them to teach these children. You are a generous church. I'm used to people begging for volunteers at VBS. Nobody has to beg here. Okay, Cindy might put a little pressure on one or two of you. If you have a particular gift she really needs. But we don't have to beg here because people are generous in volunteering to serve. That's a characteristic of this church. Let's put it in terms of marketing that we know about. And we, we talk about branding, right? When you create a brand, you're really trying to get people to notice what it is you're selling, either the service or the product. And when, you, when they hear your brand, they'll know you because of what your product means. And if you advertise, you try to advertise the best reasons to buy your product, right? I remember I was having back trouble here a while back. Oops. It's a long sermon, isn't it? What time did I start? Anybody remember? Well, I don't either. There you go. <laughs> Better keep going. Randy says keep going. Well, the, the thing was, uh, when I remembered, um, I was watching TV, and my back was hurting, and there was a, a commercial that popped up on TV. Okay, how many times do you buy things off of a sales program on TV, and they're not as advertised, right? They're not as advertised. I decided, what the heck? The thing cost a couple of hundred bucks. You're supposed to sit on it every day. It's supposed to help your back, and my back hurt, and I had everything else done to it, and it was still hurting. And here's an important thing. Sally wasn't there. So all I had to do was call that number on the screen. They sent me one of them. And you know, it actually helped. And I, I, I told some other people about it. Why? Because it was as advertised. Now, if I had bought the machine, got it and tried it, and Sally never knew it and it didn't work, what would I have done with the machine? Check. Garage sale. Give it away. Would I have told anybody about it? No, not going to do it. Same thing with churches. When we adopt these values, the, the degree to which we live them out in our culture, in our surrounding community, when we leave these doors, will tell people whether our brand can be trusted or not. If we say we believe in relationships and they come here and nobody speaks to them, but nobody invites them to lunch or nobody tries to make a connection with them, are they going to believe we, we're really interested in relationships? Or are they going to think our relationships are just for us? If they come here and we talk about being faithfulness and doing what we, we should do, if we talk about following wholeheartedly and they see us out in public acting not like a Christian, what is that going to tell them about our brand? That's why if you have a bumper sticker that has your church's name on it, on your car, you need to display with care. Because if you're not driving like a Christian, you might not want to advertise that brand. We'd prefer you didn't, right? Same thing as grace and truth. If you, if you say our brand is grace and truth, our value, we value grace and truth, but we're ungraceful as we share the truth, we're false advertising. If we say we're generous, but we're not, we're false advertising. Yes, I know everything is relative. There was a time when I resented tithing. My, my wife berated me into it. She didn't really berate me into it. I think I've told the story before, but I always like to tell it again because it reminds me to be humble. I told her I thought we ought to tithe. She said, I agree. I always thought we should tithe. I said, not now, dear. We ought to tithe. I, I wanted some applause. I was thinking about tithing here. And I said, but we obviously can't do it now. 
we got too many bills. As soon as we get the bills paid, then we'll start tithing. And she said, well, I think we could do it now. I said, woman, you don't understand the checkbook. Now, she was young. She was much younger than I was, you know, much younger. But in some ways, much older. And she, a couple of weeks later, I just felt awful about not tithing. And I said, okay, I think we should tithe. And she said, I think so, too. And you know what? I only missed three or four meals a week. She got to eat all she wanted. We still had enough money for all those meals. You can tell it helped me keep my figure in shape because of the food I missed. We never missed anything when we started tithing, though it was twice what we had been given to the church at the time. Being generous with God is important, too. Years later, I learned that tithing was not enough. I need to give more than that. The more generous you are, the more generous you become. The more graceful you are in response to other people, the more graceful you become. The more generously you give of your time, the more you're like God, who gave us his son, who gave every drop of life he had for us. A generous church will be known for what they do for others, much more than what they do for themselves. Today, in our world, as I draw this sermon to a close, I just want to point out to us all that the church needs to be generous. And I'm not talking about our congregation. I'm about talking about the church in these United States. And yet, the church in many instances has a scarcity mindset. We think we can't do more because we don't have enough volunteers, because we don't have enough dollars, because... If we, buy, if we do too many new things that are different, it will hurt what we're already doing that's good for our people. Because attendance is getting lower, so we must do less. I want to suggest to you that the mentality of scarcity is not to be found in Scripture. But rather the idea of abundance flows all through Scripture. When we give out of our poverty, God blesses us and we give more. It was what Paul was talking about when he was blessing the church that had given so much. They begged for the privilege of giving more. What does it look like? It looks like Exodus 36, 5. When the people who were building the temple came to Moses and said, you got to talk to the people. They're giving more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded. Tell them to quit giving so much. When did you last hear that sermon in the church? It is possible to give so much that it is naturally and even necessary to be more generous with those outside the body of Christ. And that, my friends, is what living into the image of God is all about. Extending beyond our own capabilities and giving all that we have, all that we are, and all that we can do in the name of Jesus. Then we bear the image of our Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these generous people. The many ways in which I've seen their generosity has encouraged me throughout my time with them. 
I thank you, Lord, for not only the generous ways in which they give of the resources you've entrusted to them, but I thank you for the generous ways in which they give their time, the generous ways in which they share their gifts and their talents. And I ask you, Lord, to use all that we have until it looks like they're all being used up so that we can then recognize how bountifully you will increase our blessings as we give them away to the hungry and needy world. There's someone here, Lord, who has never experienced the abundance of your love for them. Someone here who has never been loved so gracefully and so powerfully that they were overwhelmed by the love that you have for them. Let them decide today to follow you as we sing our closing song. If there's someone, Lord, who needs to be tied in with a community with the values like we share, we've talked about these four weeks. Let them know that there's a place here for them, and we will open the doors of the church and the community of faith in this place to receive them and let them be a full partner of all that we share together. If they're here, Lord, let them come as we stand and sing this closing song. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, this is my prayer. Amen.